topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Verisage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And on today's show, folks, we are free riding. Welcome, Ed. Hey, Ron. How are you doing? I'm great, man. Free Rider Friday. Always good to do Free Rider Friday because it, it, you just collect up stuff as you move through the month. I dump it into my Evernote file and then a couple, you know, hour or so before the show, just quick read through it and say, which ones do I want to go? And boom, we're ready. Yep. Uh, that's, the, that's the process. <laughs> <laughs> and I end up calling more than uh, I run, we run probably, but uh, that's just the way it is. But Ed, I'm just going to dive in. I have, a, I have a follow-up from our generational astrology show up a couple weeks ago oh goody and this is just this is just really fun um you know the whole generational thing we talk about the the you know the especially the the so-called snowflakes right and when you mm-hmm. look at what's happening on college campuses let me just give you a few examples clemson university's chief diversity officer a guy named lee gill this guy makes 185 grand a year by the way what a sweet gig um he says expecting people to be on time is racist so what i'll just i'll just uh, i'll just leave it there uh university of california hastings college of law it's in san francisco added a chill zone in its library with mats for naps and beanbag chairs for people who feel stressed. This is a law school. The University of Michigan Law School embedded a psychologist in a room full of bubbles and Play-Doh to coach people through Trump's election victory. (laughs) University of Arkansas at Little Rock, professor of law Joshua M. Silverstein, believes that every American law school should eliminate C grades and the average should be a B. The New uh-huh. York Times, uh, there was a New York Times op-ed written by New York University Provost Ulrich Baer, who said the idea of freedom of speech does not mean a blanket permission to say anything anybody thinks. He went on to say it has to be inclusive and include all groups and all viewpoints. Now, we're not talking about yelling fire in a crowded theater here. Mm-hmm. We're talking about saying what you think. which is supposed to be the purpose of a university is the clash of ideas. You're supposed to be exposed to things that make you uncomfortable or challenge you. And you just look at this stuff and you go, wow. Uh, And, and somebody sent us uh, who sent me this. Um, Oh boy, I'm going to blow it. Um, 
I forget. I think it was Mark, our, our listener, Mark Gandy, yep. sent this quote. It's from Frank Martin, who's the Gamecocks head basketball coach yep. in South Carolina. And I just absolutely love this. So I'm going to read the whole thing because I think this is profound. He said, you know what makes me sick to my stomach? When I hear grown people say that kids have changed, kids haven't changed. Kids don't know anything about anything. We've changed as adults. We demand less of kids. We expect less of kids. We make their lives easier instead of preparing them for what life is truly about. We're the ones that have changed. That's, I wish I would have came up with that. That's brilliant. It is, it is brilliant and it's right on the money. And and I was going to say that as even the first one that you you mentioned this this whole uh, notion of uh, what what was the first the, the first thing you had on the list that no, expecting, no, pe- expecting people to be no, on time. people on time yeah yeah so and like so and that's exactly correct this isn't the snowflakes this is the this is this person who has this insane idea who's probably a baby boomer. And, and Ed, we're probably involved in the free speech movement at Berkeley, you know, one of those. And now they're tenured professors. Right. These are boomers. It's my generation that have screwed things up. Um, I just. No, I, this I, I, is I, insane. Insane. It, insane. It, it, it really is just crazy that we can't have people. I, I, I'm, I'm just perplexed on the notion of being on time as racist. I have never thought of any particular race as being punctual or not. Like, well, like well, I can't even can't, wrap my mind around, around not, that. This is a microaggression. You're not even supposed to ask, like, where are you from? What's your nationality? <laughs> Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. These are all microaggressions. I, you read the stuff that's going on on campus, campuses, and look, I know it's not a representative sample because a lot of this is, like, in the humanities, but but – I just gave law school examples. No. These are lawyers that are going to be in court <laughs> fighting for, you know, their their clients' rights and this is no, what no, they're no, being no, no. taught. Those these are good you're incorrect there. This is going to be people with law degrees and no job. The people who take advantage of the Play-Doh room, okay? That yes, so. they make maybe they will get their law degree because you know, you can't get anything below a B anyway, <laughs> right? So <laughs> Therefore, they'll get their law degree, but still be unemployed. No, they will not be in the courtroom, Ron. Trust me on that. That's not going to happen. I just can't see that happening. Yeah, I think taking the bar is a microaggression. Oh, is that? Is yeah, just, therefore. Yeah, because pe- some people are going to fail. It's going to hurt their feelings and their self-esteem. And th- this is just, uh, <laughs> that's why I like, that's why I like reading the sports pages. It's the only place in the news that celebrates success. Absolutely. And, and one thing I will bring up, I really think that that, you know, I've talked about my son, Sean, and playing baseball it has just just been a huge boost to him. We've we've su- we've suffered through uh, an up and down season We're we're at 500 on the year. We've got a tournament tonight, this weekend, a couple more games left in the regular season. So, you know, it hasn't been a bad season, but it's been up and down. It's been up and down for every kid. And one of the things that the, the coach who uh, the head coach of this team said to to the kids and i this is important he says you know part of understanding baseball is understanding life and that most of life is you're not going to succeed and that's why baseball is so great because a hall of famer fails seven out of ten times hall of famer yeah right what 
True. What What's the line? Life is a metaphor for baseball or something. Yeah, from Jay Shepard, our, our Verisage colleague, came up with that, uh, which I uh, one of the most profound quotes ever. Life is a metaphor for baseball. <laughs> Yogi Berra should have said it. Yeah, he didn't say everything he said either. It's so. true, true. <laughs> Well, I just thought that was funny, but I just wanted to tag that onto our generational show because I, I, I think that's what we were trying to say, what Frank Martin said here. Yes. But he said it in the most direct manner. I just love it. Couldn't agree but more. And again, it's not, it's the, the, I think the big point is it's not the generation the, that are the so-called snowflakes that are the problem. That's yep. really the insight here. It's it the people. Who who are who were 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 at Berkeley in the free spe- speech movement now declaring war on free speech because free speech means any anybody who disagrees with me. Yep, it, you look at what they did at uh, what was it Middlebury uh, mm-hmm. College with with um, <laughs> you know one of my heroes Charles Murray. I mean this guy's just a scholar. Yeah, right. I know he's written some controversial stuff, but he's very reasonable. He's very logical, and to shout him down and throw rocks at him and. You know, the professor who invited him. I mean, this is just insane. This is a college campus is what it's designed to be there for. But, but, but see, but this is where it extends out because I had this conversation on Facebook with, with somebody this week where, the, you know, it was one of these 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 things about I, th- I think it was our, our friend Jody who posted about let her kids seem unaffected by terrorism and thing and, and things of that nature. And there was a, a conversation about and I jumped in and said, hey, listen, the, the world is safer now than it ever has been ever. The yep. four horsemen of the apocalypse are on the wane. There's, you know, we we live longer, so death is not a, is less of a factor. There's less war, despite the fact that you know military buildups and stuff like that. There's less uh, uh, pestilence. We're dying from disease and less plague. We have or a famine. We have got got lots and lots of of food. Now, this isn't to say that everything's perfect, but millions have billions have come out of poverty. And we can't say that it's wor- the world is worse now than it was 50 years ago. There's no, there is zero empirical evidence. And someone jumped in and said, well, I, you know, that's not what I see. I said, well, what's your evidence? He said, it's just what I see. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not evidence. You know? <laughs> I know. I, you know, it'd be one thing if you were in a war-torn country or something, but th- these are some of the most privileged people on the planet going to $60,000 a year colleges and they have to sit in a room with bubbles and Play-Doh mm-hmm. because yep. they're stressed. I just, wow. Yeah, it just reminded reminded me of this one thing that, that you, you know who Tim Minton is. He's a, a Australian comedian because I got some really great stuff. He he's got this whole riff, and one one of one of the lines in it is, "Do you know what they call alternative medicine that works?" Medicine. Medicine. <laughs> <laughs> is that the same guy who does? The whole thing about being offended. Yes. No. Yeah, no. 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 Yeah. That's a different guy. That, that's, that's a different guy. Because he's Australian yeah. too, isn't he? The he guy is. Who does he that? is. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. Words with sticks and stones. Since when? Do- <laughs> yeah. Since, since they may break my bones. Since when did 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 you know <laughs> what we teach children become irrelevant? Right. When did that become irrelevant? <laughs> oh man. All right. Yeah. Listen. Well, then, I didn't expect to spend the practically the whole thing on that. But go ahead. What do you got? No, as I'm going to say, I'm going to throw a quick one in here. We'll just talk about this quickly uh, and move on. And and by the way, I threw one of mine in there, which was a war on free speech. So we're 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 even trade on that. Okay, good. Uh, but I, uh, maybe and maybe we should talk about this in the next segment. We got to talk a little Bitcoin. It's crazy. Where is it? <laughs> 
it okay well now it's at like 2200 it was up to 2700 so it did have like a 500 point swing and it was up to 2600 as early as this morning it was down to 2000 now back up to 2300 wow that's a major movement within a day it's or two movement. i mean it's it has doubled it has doubled its market cap since april 1st very interesting Wow, Doug, and, and and this is what what I want to talk to you about. We got a couple minutes left here, but can you bubble on a currency? Like th- this is the thing that I'm scratching my head about. Can a cur- can a currency bubble? Like I've never heard of that. We I've heard of stocks bubble, other assets bubble, but can you bubble? Can a currency bubble? Oh boy, it's a great question. It's a great question. Because it's not, I mean, it's not a mainstream currency, but I see what you're saying. I mean, it's a currency. It's bigger than some countries, right, Mar- in terms of yeah. market cap. Yeah, um, yep. it's, it's bigger than, than, I think, most of the countries in Europe that are not on the euro. Obviously, you can have irrational exuberance, but i got to believe there's some underlying you know, economic reason for this. More people are adopting it. More merchants are accepting it. More places you can spend it. You know, it's actually becoming more liquid. Right. I, I, I would I would think that would be driving it. And like you've said, you know, it's going to happen in the third world and come back. Um, and maybe that's what's going on here writ large. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it, it was also made a legal form of payment in Japan. Ah. So... So that I think is is influencing this this as well, and of course the SEC has said that they're going to revisit the case that they threw out in in March about having a um, you know a, a, allowing us it to be traded as a as a uh, index fund index fund yeah as an index yeah. fund you yeah. know. Um, Which I would have thought when they came out with that ruling denying that that it would have you know somewhat crashed it. But it it didn't seem to. It so went I'm down right. a little bit, but not significant. And now it's right. it's blown up ever since. I can't believe that's the only reason why, based on what just what the SEC might do, you know, in the future by allowing an index. I, there's got to be other explanations. I agree. You know, and I I've, I I listened to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, uh, Meyer something Meyer. I forget the guy's name, but. Anyway, he he just thinks that's you know all the issues are in Bitcoin and that Ethereum is is a waste and all the all the talent is is involved in Bitcoin and its blockchain. But yeah, let let's maybe let's talk a little bit more about that when we come back from the other side of this break. But folks, in the meantime, I'd like to remind you if you want to contact Ed or myself, like many of you do, please send us an email at ask. TSOE at Verisage.com and check out the soul of enterprise.com. Go to our calendars page uh, tab and you can see where Ed and I will be appearing. We just did the Sage Summit. We're going to do another one in Toronto coming up. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. 
We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Solemn Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. It's Free Rider Friday on The Soul of Enterprise, and Ron and I are talking about little little subjects that come up during our our month. Uh, We started the conversation about Bitcoin, Ron, and I just want to see if we can put this to rest relatively quickly because I know we got stuff on our stack that's bulging. But I'm just looking at the one day on uh, Bitcoin today. Opened at 2357. This is in London. That's the time that they use because Bitcoin never really closes, which right, is another sure. weird thing. Right. <laughs> right. So, uh, but but the, the open was 2357. The high was 2639. The low, 2067. And it's now back up to 2306, about only about $50 down from where it opened. Wow. Interesting. So, so you just look at it in a day, really not a lot of movement, but that's a lot of volatility in one small day. And, and we were speculating during the break, you know, what causes this? I, I think it's some people who are ha, have been speculating for a while, such as myself, by the way, who are like, okay, that now I'm getting out, so to speak. But then any as soon as there's a rush on getting out, others are like, great, it's time for me to buy. Yeah, prices drop and let's go buy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, it might have something to do with technology advances with miners, you know, too. I mean, the special purpose chips they have and hardware that allows you to mine more efficiently. I wonder if that's got anything to do with it. Because remember that statistic that 1% of all energy is devoted to mining Bitcoin? Crazy! <laughs> it, yeah. it is. And and I remember reading about chip design and the you know special purpose chips will allow the computer just to work on the Bitcoin math issues. So that they're not, you know, multitasking chips. They just do one thing really well. And they said that that would speed up the mining process. And I know they're working on other things. And the the, the podcast has talked about that, too, about how they're going to speed up uh, Bitcoin's capabilities, like, you know, processing transactions. What is it per second? Is mm-hmm. that the major metric they look at? Like, And and that's going to that's going to make some massive leaps. So yes. I, and, and, 
and I think, and just to let you know, when I, I did finally sell some bit Bitcoin, actually what I did was I just you know bought some gift cards with it. And the, I was fascinated to see how this worked is that effectively when, when I, when I said, Hey, I want to purchase this, it said, okay, we're locking in your price here. And I did like a little barcode scan of what I, what of, uh, of who I would needed to send this to is, um, uh, and then, <clears throat> Uh, sorry, I'm getting feedback here for a second. The, and it was great. And they locked me in at that price and said, hey, listen, no problem. If if it changes significantly in the next next 20 minutes or so, um, you're locked in at this price, which I thought was mm-hmm. great. And it did. It only took about 20 minutes to settle the transaction yeah. in total, which yeah. not bad. No, uh, so anyway, quick. Quickly, I want to read three things, that there's a, and we can post this as a, as a show note. That's why I wanted to just get this in. But th- there, there's an article from CNBC on three reasons why the Bitcoin surge is not the same. You know, as it's talking about can a currency bubble, and this is what they say. One, higher prices add value to the digital currency system, right, mm-hmm. which is an interesting thing. Two, more people, including financial institutions, want to buy Bitcoin, and I think that's what mm-hmm. we're seeing with this volatility is, right, is it's going down to a particular buy price. And that's what uh, what, what people are doing. And three, and this is the one that I think is most important, the, the as the real world finds more ways to use Bitcoin, the value will significantly increase. Yeah, the network effect, sure. Yep, yep. So we'll see. You know, as, as one friend of mine said, I said, can, can you know? I, I don't think this is going to be. I think it's going to be different. I don't think there's going to be a bubble. He said, "That's what they always say, just before the bubble." A bubble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. All right, Ed. Well, I got one, and and boy, I hope we can get through this and make and have it make sense. It's 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 actually a really interesting economic idea. A guy named William Baumel, who was a economist at, I believe, at Princeton, just terrific terrific economist, wrote some great books, really into the history of economic ideas. Okay. And he, he's the guy that taught me always, always trace back an idea because they, ju- they don't just drop out of the sky. Right. <laughs> they, they come from somewhere. He died on May 4th, by the way. He was in his 90s, never won a Nobel Prize, but probably should have. Uh, and of course, now he can't. But one of his most famous um, paradoxes, something he called the cost disease, and this is really interesting when you think about it. He he um, he says, think about actors. You know, uh, just just take an example of somebody from the arts or or musicians. Uh, now they compete in the same national labor market as factory workers, right? That make automobiles or widgets. And he says, but as the productivity increases in factories, right, their wages go up. As we know, right. this is really sure. well established. But in arts organizations, like if you think about musicians, um, their wages go up too because the arts organizations have to compete for these people and keep them from going and making widgets, right? So their hmm. wages are going up even though, and this is the kind of the paradox in it, even though their productivity isn't increasing. He says, you know, performing a piece of Beethoven took the same amount of time and the same number of musicians in the 20th as it did in the, in the 19th century. Right. You're not seeing more productivity. What, it, what you're seeing is, you know, keep to, to keep prevent them from going and building cars, you have to pay them more. Interesting. And he called this the cost disease. Well, this is the interesting thing about this, Ed, and this gets kind of 
is, this can get kind of confusing, but it's really not when you think about it. He says, technical progress in some industries will raise wages in low productivity sectors for this reason. So what are low productivity sectors? Well, things like healthcare, education, government. Let's face it, the productivity in those sectors hasn't really greatly increased. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's been some technological gains, right? Moves, right. education, and, and all that. He said, but if you think about it, he says wage increases are a side effect of productivity gains elsewhere in the economy where there is productivity gains. So overall, you make the economy richer. And he said, as machines become better, right, just like we always talk about with AI, deep learning, all these things, driverless cars, human productivity is going to converge towards zero. He said, so the, the, the spending in the economy is going to go towards services for which it's crucial that productivity not grow. <laughs> okay. In other words, more people playing Beethoven. Yeah, or or involved in sectors that don't have massive productivity gains, like personal services, healthcare, government. Obviously, great Which, example. Right, but, but meaning meaning increased spending on on in in the United States on healthcare is an indication of productivity gains elsewhere. Correct. In the economy. And a richer economy. So he said the economy overall now is characterized by technological abundance and this right. cost disease. Okay. So take that and stick it all the those who compare, you know, well, we're compared to the other OECD countries. The United States spends more on health care. Well, <laughs> yeah, stick right? it to them and also stick it to people who fear AI taking our jobs. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and and this, I think this just goes back to our our constant theme in, in the show. You know, I think we're at this historical hinge in history, where we are moving to a relationship economy. And if that's true, well, we all know that relationships are not very productive. They're not nope. quote unquote efficient, right? Nope. Uh, and and I I think this is the answer to the AI challenge facing the professions and every other industry out there. Um, I think this cost disease really has something to be said for it. That, that's good. You need to do a blog post on that. You need to write about that because that, that, that's got to be something that has, that has to be talked about and, and, and put out there because it's a great point. You know, it's a little bit similar if you think about it to taking somebody who's, say, in Nigeria, who, who, whose who's maximum salary would be, you know, X in, in Nigeria and can only – and then moving them to the United States. Right, right. Yep. Their 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 education didn't change, right? Their yep. educational background didn't change. The only thing that changed is the context in which they live. So yep. how how could somebody be more valuable in the United States, meaning he 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 or she earns a greater salary than they are in Nigeria? Well, mm-hmm. because of, because of the context of where they are, right? Yeah. Now, now, he did talk about prices, too, and he also talked about how this affects prices and government services and things like that and how it would increase the price. of. This is why theater tickets have gone up, even though you haven't seen massive productivity gains in you know, symphonies playing Beethoven. And, I mean, you can p- apply this to barbers. I mean, it takes my dad as long to cut my hair now as it did, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Sure. 
I mean, you don't see massive productivity gains in that sector, yet their wages continuously go up because they have to compete for the same people and the prices of their services continue to go up. And and that was kind of Baumol's point with this. And I never did see him talk about this from a from an international perspective. He always talked about it relative within the same economy. Um, so it's an interesting point you bring up about the Nigerian coming here. Um, but it, I, I think this is the kernel of the answer to the AI issue that we're facing. Yeah, no, that could be that's a really true. good thing. It could be a really good thing. It's yep, going to free us up to spend our money in other places that we may value more studying art, literature, going to the theater, more culture, whatever. Healthcare. Right? And yeah, and, and orange having, juice. <laughs> <laughs> and having a, and still having a richer economy, and it also made me think. I remember that statistic about Walmart, about the the productivity gains in Walmart and their supply chain management and all of that. And right. McKinsey Global Institute said this this was like something like it was in forty percent or fifty percent of the productivity gains in the United States of America was solely because of Walmart. <laughs> well, that's what he's talking about here. Yeah. Yeah, you know that frees us up to go to the theater because it, yeah. it takes less money now to to buy toilet paper and we can go do these other things because mm-hmm. of these productivity gains in other areas. So anyway, I just thought that it's just a really fascinating idea. No, truly fascinating. Well, we're up against our next break, Ron. So, but we want to remind you, you can contact Ron or me by sending us an email at ask tsoe at verisage.com. That's a s k t s o e at verisage.com. Please visit the website, thesoulofenterprise.com, for show notes as well as previews of upcoming shows and, as Ron mentioned, the calendar. And please, if you are out on iTunes or on Amazon, we would love for you to review either the book and or the podcast. Those are the currency. Those are the, the Bitcoin, if you will, of what we do here at The Soul of Enterprise. So please uh, review those books. But right now, a word from our sponsor. future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. 
Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise well welcome back everybody we're here doing free rider friday for the month of may and ed you're up what do you got uh, <laughs> interesting that you say that you're up i have a baseball one ron okay uh, good but not really. It's it's sort of. A, have you heard? I know some uh, of our listeners love that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Our friend Greg is not. He's like already turned off. He said as soon as you say baseball, he's off for the next five minutes. But I, I think he'll. I think he'll stay stay paying attention to this one. Have you heard of um, GTS Cabernet out of Calistoga? GTS Cabernet. I know you're out in wine country there. Okay, so anyway, just look that one up. You got to get see if you can find it this weekend and give it a try for me because it's it's sold out there. GTS Cabernet uh, received a 97 score from Wine Spectator a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to to, to check that out uh, when we we go out. But um, it the, the winery is owned by a fellow by the name of Tom Seaver, who mm-hmm. was a the a, the the best pitcher in New York Mets history. Uh, yeah. The GTS stands for George Thomas Seaver. G- uh, he his first name was actually George, but he went by Tom. So the GTS that is is his initials. Anyway, they did an interview with him. He he uh, uh, in the Daily News. He is a, a vineyard owner now and s- uh, focuses exclusively on that. Hasn't been around baseball in quite some time. Doesn't he says doesn't even really look at the scores much at all. But one of the things that he that they they asked him about is how come so many pitchers are being uh, for, are, cannot go the distance anymore. Back in his day, you know, complete games were on a regular basis. You know, the pitcher might start almost forty games a year and possibly complete fifteen to twenty of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so where he would pitch all nine innings, uh, the and. Now the pitcher, pitchers throw fewer pitches than than they ever have before. They usually get taken out by the sixth inning. There's like specialty coming in, and they're not pitching as well, right? Um, you know, I think think uh, um, George uh, Tom Seaver has been in the Hall of Fame, sub three ERA for his career, uh, and that included you know when he was in his 40s. And he said, you know, I didn't didn't throw all that hard when I was in my early 40s, but I knew how to pitch. And he, they asked him why they think that so many people are getting hurt, and as he thinks, it's because they have moved to this, this all of this weight training stuff for their upper body. And he says pitching is about the lower body. He says I, I would take care of my legs. I would lift weights with my legs, not, not, and not do anything with my arms. Since getting, making my arms stronger wasn't going to help. Right. That's interesting. Uh huh. Because it's, it's all about how do you, how you drive with, with your lower body. The, to, sure. to generate the to generate the torque around the mm-hmm. throw, mm-hmm. right? So pr- pretty interesting that he he's you know ma- making mention of this, uh, and and he, he he thinks that until you know people start focusing on worrying about their legs more than their arms, that we're going to continuously see these pitchers 
get get hurt and can you continue to get hurt and not being able to to finish and complete games because they're not strong enough in their lower body. Interesting. It is interesting. And and it, it, did you look up this GTS winery? Is it an actual winery with a tasting room? Because some of these guys just own the vineyards. No, he 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 works it every day. Like he's okay. out. Yep. He's out in the field do, do, doing it, and yeah, he's got a tasting room, so you'll okay. have to you have to go on a field trip I, for the I, soul of Enterprise. <laughs> I, I will. Uh, I, I and I bet my dad knows about this. I mean, he's a baseball fan, so he's probably read about this guy's winery. I'd never heard of it, but yeah, Calistoga is not very far from me. Um, another thing that you made me think of, just thinking about baseball, is uh, on Larry Kudlow. He interviewed the guy who wrote a new book called Dinner with DiMaggio, and this was DiMaggio's <laughs> doctor who worked on his heel. I guess he uh-huh. had that that ankle problem or that heel problem caused him, but he wanted a non-surgical solution. And this guy didn't believe in surgery, this doctor. And he's, in fact, he started a clinic, the DiMaggio Hub Fund. But he used to have dinner with DiMaggio and some other guys. And he wrote a whole book about it and just, you know, what a statesman this guy was and what a terrific guy. And it just, it sounded fascinating to me. And, you know, I'm not a big baseball fan, but it sounded really cool. Yeah, I have to put it on my reading list. This was after right. he retired, obviously. But right, um, right. right. All right. Well, all right, we got an episode number seventy-six. Can you believe it? This episode one forty-four. So about halfway back, <laughs> January twenty-fifth, two thousand sixteen. We did lessons from the trading game, and yeah. remember, we always did some. We we did we ended I think with some modifications, and one of the modifications that I loved is pulling out the card. You know, when you play this game in the crowd. And you say, I have a card here, and it's got a cure for cancer. How many of you would trade with me? And everybody raises their hand, right? Mm-hmm. And you say, I just want you to know that you'd explode the deficit with China because China invented this cure for cancer. And people don't care. They still want it, right? Mm-hmm. Even though yep. it would reflect badly in our trade statistics. It shows you our trade deficit is absolutely meaningless. But that's not the point of this. The point is, well, now this thought experiment is now almost a reality. Shanghai Laboratory of ChiMed, a biotech firm, has developed a colorectal um, drug for cancer. Wow. Colorectal cancer, and it's in late-stage trials. I think they've submitted it to the Chinese equivalent of the FDA. I have no idea if that's more stringent or less stringent than ours. But the, the and the drug, I, I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing this right. Fruquintinib is the name of the okay. drug, and again, it's for colorectal cancer, and it, it's having incredibly positive results in these late stage trials, and this will be um, the very first drug designed and developed entirely in China. Go China. That's all I have to say. <laughs> yep. So this is the power of brains, right? This non-rival asset of knowledge and experimentation and all of that happening in different countries. And at some point, it's going to better everybody's lives on the planet. Mm-hmm. Who cares where it came from? Yeah. Didn't I hear somebody recently? Didn't I recently hear somebody say the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource? Didn't they hear yes, that somewhere? Man. Where did they hear that? Yeah. Oh, right. Our show's opening every week. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, you, you, you throw out a thought experiment in one year and the next year it becomes a reality in this fast paced world. So I just love that. 
That that's incredible. I, w- I was watching a show on on Net Geo on the cancer treatments that they're developing. Now this isn't a, it's not a drug therapy per se because it actually uses your own. Um, your own cells that they then add to, this is fascinating, they then add to the uh, T cells that have been mm-hmm. given, have you, see, have you seen this, given a, uh, a stripped down version of AIDS that, if, uh, that makes, makes the, 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 the AIDS part, whatever that is, it makes that uh, benign. But what it does do is it, it, it energizes those T cells that will, and they'll only go after cancer cells. Yes. That, that's the whole movement on oncology right now is targeted medicine, you know, to, to right. attack spe- very specific cells. And that's where all the research and mind power is going. And it's just fascinating stuff. Well, and here's the thing about this that kind of shook me a little bit is like, well, they are. And this is an example of the regulatory framework causing a problem. So the, the therapy that is used now you're effectively creating a one-off drug because you're using the person's own cells. Yeah, exactly. Right. So the the treatment that you're developing will only exist for this one person. Well, how do you put that through double-blind tests? Yep. Yeah. And no. so what they said was is is because of this, because of because of that fact that they can't get it through the regulatory framework of the FDA, that they now have to go and try to develop a, a, a I guess a generic one, so to speak, that will work on anybody. Mm-hmm. Right. And here's the thing: is like that's nonsense. Yep. <laughs> How do you customize for everybody? I mean, it's. <laughs> well, it, but but what. It, it's an example of that we have uh, talked uh, on a number of episodes a little bit about this, you know. And look, I'm going, I'm pushing it to the extreme. I admit I don't know as much about this as 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 probably is is real. But at least in my head, it sets up the possibility that you can have a situation where the FDA is the its very existence is killing people. Yeah, well, that already exists. I mean, we well, know right. we do. <laughs> yeah, and right. this will just make it worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I've I've read very similar things on this uh, about the whole customization thing and and how it's hard to get that through trials. And I've read a lot of criticism of these uh, you know double blind studies and all of that. It's not it's not jibing with the advances in technology that we've made. Yeah, yeah, very sad if the, if that's the case that these regulatory structures are are causing such huge problems for people, especially you know a lot of them are, are dealing with blood blood cancer so leukemia and stuff and yep and you know if your life's on the line you're going to try anything i mean and you should be able to that's the bottom line no bureaucrat should be able to tell you you can't do it it's your life it's a decision yep. between you and your doctor and, your and family. i think there are there are a couple of states that are that have passed laws on that right ron that uh, there the, are the right to, right to try yep right to try yep we've done that on the free rider friday i forget which one but we have talked yeah. about that yep so uh, I All right, Ed. Build. Sorry, yeah. What do you got? Oh man, um, the, anything I've. Oh, let me. All right, this we can do, do this one quick because we've talked about it. This is a follow up on some previous stuff. Uh, our friend uh, Mark Zuckerberg at uh, at, at Facebook mm-hmm. has come out in favor of the universal basic income. Of course, he has. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we'll let him fund it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's worth a billion dollars. He can certainly do that. He gave the uh, Harvard commencement address last Thursday, 
and said that uh, he, he thinks that this is something that we're going to. So, but you know, this is just flies in the face of what you were talking about earlier with the you know the cost problem, right? Uh, but yet another person in favor of UBI. Yeah, you know, I know we did a whole show on it, and uh, I if if we're gonna do it, I want to do it the way Murray's outlined it. Right, where which is it replaces get rid of everything. everything else. Yeah. Yes, if that happens, I, I'll do it. Otherwise, I'll fight this tooth and nail because I think it's a horrific idea just to glom this on to what we already have. Agreed. That I agree with. The um, I will say this though that, and I got in trouble on some libertarian forums about this. That if if you have to have a welfare type system, I think this is the the best one to have. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, where you just give people money. I mean, that's what Milton Friedman's been saying for (laughs) the longest time. Well, Ed, this is just flying by. I knew it would be. These are the fastest shows. But, folks, we'd like to remind you, contact Ed or myself at AskTSOE at VerisAge.com and follow us on Twitter at at AskTSOE. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. I can't believe it, Ron. We're up against the the, the fourth segment of Free Rider Friday. These these shows do just completely blow by. It's so easy. Well, they do. Uh, tr- truth be told, folks, you know Ron, Ron and I can spend an hour on the phone and on a pretty regular basis, and we're like, oh wow, that was an hour. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, Ed, I've got I, I've got one here. I think is really interesting. We've touched on this before, especially with this this uh, driverless car. But um, this was from 1843, which is a publication that the Economist puts out. It's kind of their culture lifestyle magazine. 
mm-hmm. um, that you get when you subscribe. And this is from their June-July issue of this year, Teaching Robots Right from Wrong. And so they give the example of a, a robot called Robert. I, I think it's from Japan, but don't hold me to that. It's strong enough to list a, a frail patient, right, to move them around from the bed to whatever. But okay. obviously, if it's strong enough to lift these things, it's strong enough to crush people too, right? Mm. So what, what, what this whole article is about is how are AI experts and programmers and scientists trying to teach robots ethics, right from wrong. Now, there's three kind of approaches that they take, and they're all embryonic, and you know, we don't know which one is better yet or which one's going to work. But you know, as you can imagine, these people have very strong opinions about their approach, right? They think it's the right one. Um, the first one, they talk about a company called Good AI, and it specializes in educating AI and ethics. And they say the goal is not to pre-program you know, the computer or the robot to follow prescribed rules in every possible situation. They say robots are like kids. They're a blank slate. So what we need to do, and this is the first first way they, they, they teach uh, robots how to do this, is train them to apply knowledge to situations they've never encountered by watching how others behave, you know. Mm-hmm, kind of like mm-hmm. a kid learns, you know, right from wrong, but sort of by watching others. Um, and that's that's really interesting so they just you make them observe behavior and then it's just one of these deep learning things that's just like you know just like that guy's uh car idea of just mimics how you drive right? right well this is just mimicking how people behave in various situations like if you go into a restaurant you you know you order hors d'oeuvres first or you order a drink first and then you order a meal you know the food and all of that and it just you know so it's training by observe observation how they actually behave there's another guy, a guy named uh, Ron Arkin. He's a, <laughs> I love this, a robo-ethicist. <laughs> Didn't know such okay. things exist. I still don't think they do, but <clears throat> that's what he calls himself. He's at Georgia Tech. And he said, you know, he works a lot with the military, and obviously the military uses a lot of robots, drones, and whatnot. And he says, robot soldiers are actually superior to humans because they can't rape, they can't pillage, they can't burn down a village, <laughs> right? But mm-hmm. he said... It, you know they are going to have to make decisions in the battlefield. Like for example, if how do you deal with a high level target who's breaking bread with civilians? Right. You, know, you, you go after them, or what if you've got you know uh, five low ranking soldiers on one side of the battlefield who need help, but you've got a high ranking colonel on the other side. Which who do you help first? Right. Sure. Those types of things. So he's developed a thing he calls the ethical adapter, which. He's trying to, and this is fascinating, he's trying to simulate human emotions. So rather than human, rather than observing behavior, learn from your emotions. Have a robot experience guilt, for instance, when they do something wrong. Um, and, and that's how you correct. Now, obviously, the big problem here is they have to do something wrong first. But if we can learn from our emotions so it, that's just fascinating, this idea that you can teach, you know, computers emotion. Now, that's been, you know, if you read a lot of these futurists that I've been reading talking about AI, they say that's one thing that we'll never be able to do is have AI be ethical. You know, we can, but you know what? They're working on it. <laughs> and, yeah. And the, the, the last approach, Ed, is to use stories. This one... Um, Guy said, look, he said, raising kids is an interesting analogy, but I don't have 20 years. 
he said, so what we want to do is we want to give uh, our AI thousands of different stories with protagonists facing various dilemmas. Then the machine can average out the responses and try and figure out what the majority of people would do in that situation. Mm-hmm. So if you okay. think about stories, if you, whether it's literature, or even stories on TV, think of a house episode, right? Or, you know, Bonanza or whatever. I mean, they're all full of ethical dilemmas, right? Should we do this or should we do that? And he's saying, let's just load that into the machine and let it just average all these things out. And that's just kind of fascinating. So it's not it's not as simple as saying, you know, we're going to program a car to be utilitarian where we're going to always uh, take out one to save five. We're actually going to try and emulate either human emotions or human behavior um, and, and deal with it that way on a deep learning basis. Interesting. I was, was uh, watching a video the other day about uh, this guy, and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, uh, but I can't remember his name. I uh, did a TED talk as well as a, an appearance on on Reason uh, TV about children needing fr- free unstructured play mm-hmm. because that's how they learn to deal more socially. And the fact that there, there have been fewer and fewer people uh, or there's, f- there's fewer and fewer time for kids to have that unstructured play. Uh, one of the things he talked about, though, is the the fact that that all mammals do some form of playing. Mm-hmm. Right. As they're as they're growing up, but they usually play in the form of what's of the tools that are most important to them. So lion cubs, you know, play at pouncing. <laughs> right. Yep. And, yep. and kill the other prey. He says humans, our, our human systems, we're adapting quicker and we, we adapt quicker. And our, so it's no wonder that like our kids play on computers because it's the most important tool that they see. Yeah. Interesting. Right. OK, so. So now I'm going to put that together with what you just talked about and say, what we got to what we got to do is figure out how do we get these robots to learn how to play, mm-hmm. where they can begin to work these things out, and in in un, some kind of unstructured format. The very fact that we give them all of this structure becomes a problem. Yep. You know, there was another article. Uh, it's not my stack, but it was from the Economist, and they're talking about AI. Uh, learning how to play games like video games and there's a lot of ai researchers that are really in that space and think that's a great way also to teach them how to play they can play a game they've never played before and just mm-hmm. observe it and uh, you know and this is kind of how they taught uh, deep mind how to play go right right that, that thing just observed you know thousands and thousands of games online and figured it out well they're even talking about you know just regular video games uh and just learning from that it's just it, it, it takes me back to that book, Humans Are uh, Underrated, because remember he said, let's stop trying to predict what a computer can or can't do. You know, mm-hmm. Only humans can emote, right? Only humans can tell if you're sad or happy. Well, we know that's false, right? <laughs> right? Because your emotions are red on your face, and a computer can do that better than any set of human eyes. And now, you know, now I'm starting to read that, oh, well, you know, humans or robots will never have ethics. Well, I'm not so sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nope. There's a lot of smart minds trying to figure it out. No, nope, I agree. All right. Hey, listen, one last quick thing. We got about a minute and a half or so before we close. Uh, so you're getting into the Americans, huh? Yes. Great. <laughs> I just started the fifth season. 
I'm on the second, uh, finished the second episode of the fifth season. Yeah, I did. Oh, you're ahead of me now. It it is, it is, it is a great show. Underwhelmed by the acting, but I love, love, love the premise of the show. It's just, (laughs) plus the time period it takes place is really cool. The eighties, the cold war, the whole, you know, just fascinating stuff. Absolutely love it. Good, good music. Good music. All right. Well, what, you know what? Hey Ron, what do we got coming up next week? Next week, we're going to have a guest on, Adrian Simmons, who's a fellow at Verisage. He's a practicing CPA at Element CPA outside of Baltimore, I believe. And he wants to come on to discuss the uh, perspective of uh, economic thought in Austrian history. He's, he's really gotten into this, Ed, and I think we created a Frankenstein here. But uh, we're going to talk about like the history of value theory and other ideas coming out of economics. So it should be a real interesting, because as you know, this guy's really smart. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. So we look forward to do that. Well, I guess I'll see you in 167 hours then. This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, check out our show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. We'll post uh, full notes on everything we discussed today. You can also contact Ed and myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend. <laughs>